What is up, everybody? We are back with another episode of Shaping the Culture. Hope all is well with everybody. Uh, hope you're, you enjoyed the holiday season, your Christmas. Uh, hope you got the gifts that you were looking for. Uh, I didn't get everything I was looking for, but it's okay. Um, but I'm excited about today's episode. Uh, we're actually in the middle of our New Year's Eve uh, conference, or New Year's conference, I should say. And uh, we got an incredible guest speaker that we brought out, an amazing pastor, goes by the name of Byron. And man, as soon as I picked him up from the airport, conversations have been marvelous. We've been fellowshipping. We've been encouraging each other. We've been learning and growing from one another. And immediately I thought to myself, we got to do a podcast episode together. And so he is here with us today. Byron, how you feel? Bro, I'm feeling good. Feeling real good. Glad to be here, man. I've never been I've never been on a podcast before, so <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it, bro. Looking forward to it. For sure. Well, yeah, it is a honor and a and a privilege to have you on here. And so what we're we're gonna talk about today, we, we talked about this off air a little bit, is uh spiritual warfare and what that entails. So let me just give you my background. Maybe you can get into your background as well and why we wanna talk about this. I you know, as we all know, I am Avisha, Ethiopian. And growing up in that environment within the church, um, when we said spiritual warfare, uh, what what it, what it meant to me, or what uh, or how I processed it was, okay, there is somebody demon possessed, there's somebody uh, demon um, oppressed, uh, there's somebody that's uh, that's you know just seeing ghosts, there's somebody that's dealing with uh, something intense in the supernatural. And uh, growing up, when you said spiritual warfare, it was almost a scary thing, almost kind of like, ah. And to be honest, because I never had experiences as such, I never seen a ghost, I've never seen anything in the supernatural realm. I actually have a friend who, um, crazy, crazy story, he, uh, he mourned uh, the loss of a friend, and literally, I think a week or so after the funeral, um, he saw his friend appear in his room and it scared the mess out of him. And he had to go and talk to our pastor about that. But, you know, I've never really had intense experiences like that. So when I think about spiritual warfare for a, a huge chunk of my uh, life, I thought that was irrelevant to me. I thought I, there was nothing I was getting ready to combat. There was nothing I was going to war with. And so that, that, that term almost, it was over-spiritualized for me. And so that was kind of my bringing with that that word spiritual warfare the way I understood it for a long uh, period of time how about you what has been your experience man um, when it comes to spiritual warfare I too uh, was brought up spiritual warfare wasn't really mentioned a lot in the church that I grew up in Um, I really didn't start learning about spiritual warfare until I got to college Um, and, and in reading scripture you cannot read scripture and not know or deny the existence that there is an invisible realm. There is an unseen realm that we do not see where there is angelic and demonic activities. Scripture makes that plain. You see it in the ministry of Jesus. You see it in the ministry of Paul. You see it in the Old and the New Testament. And uh, and especially, you know, it talks about it a lot in Ephesians 6 as it goes into the talking about the armor of God. But, you know, growing up, especially in college, I met a lot of people that talked about spiritual warfare and they 
they made spiritual warfare seem like something out of a Hollywood movie. Um, Demons, people being possessed. And and don't get me wrong, these things do and can happen. But I really believe in a lot of ways that um, it's been over-spiritualized. And I believe a lot of times there's a lot of stuff that we call spiritual warfare that isn't spiritual warfare in the light that we think it is, where you have demons and all this kind of stuff. And and I do believe that, uh, according to Scripture, when, when, when there is demonic activity, it's not always as Hollywood, as people say, where you've got the foaming of the mouth and, and, and people running up walls and heads turning around and stuff like that. But that was pretty much my experience. And just to recap, in college... I dealt with a lot of people that over-spiritualized spiritual warfare, and they made it seem like that everything that wiggled was a demon. So, yeah, that was mine. That's real. And just kind of like, you know, emphasize on the on the, the fact that you said that it is real. Uh, I remember uh, going to college, and the college I went to, <laughs> let, let's just say, for the most part, they were cessationalists, meaning... Anything that dealt with things of that nature, they didn't really believe to be true. They they felt like, you know, um, I don't know, like demon possession, uh, spiritual like activity in that regard just ceased to exist once the the, the church in the first century uh, was established, and so it was a foreign idea to them. And so I remember. Uh, my roommate actually was moving out second semester into one of his football buddies just down the hall. And so I just remember clearly it was just me and some friends. We were watching the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and uh, it was getting late. And we didn't mind it. My roommate, it was, he was taking forever just moving his things. I didn't think twice of it. I just thought he was just having a good time with his friend, uh, thinking about what it looked like to live together, so on and so forth. And so it was getting late. And so my friends were like, all right, we're going to call it night. We got class in the morning. So they left my room. And we Within minutes, they returned back, and I'm like, huh, "Well, what are you doing back in here? Like, what, what do you, what do you guys?" And they're freaking out. They're like, "Yo, there's like a demon manifesting himself right now in a room where your roommate is at." And I was like, "Whoa!" And so they, they again, they never experienced things like this before, and so they were just freaking out. And they ran back, and they ended up staying there like the whole night because that thing went on forever. My roommate, I tell you, like, my roommate wasn't, um, he wasn't, I don't know if he was a believer. If he, if he claimed to be a believer, he struggled deeply, right? And I'll tell you this, like, after that experience, he, he, he's just like, I'm sold out to Jesus. This thing is real. It scared him into salvation. And he was just telling me his experiences. It was, like, crazy. Like, they had a Bob Marley poster in the room, and the demon that possessed itself would just make this weird haunting noise, screeching, laughing, and would even haunt, um, uh, mock them and taunt them and be like, it's the Bob Marley poster, take it down. So they'd run, they'd take it down, and then he'd laugh and just be like, ah, I fooled you, you thought that's what it was going to take me, that's what it was going to take for me to get out. And so this is back and forth, the tormenting, them freaking out all night long. And what was so beautiful, actually, is uh, in the morning, there was a bunch of students 
that were outside the room just praying for the room. They didn't enter, but they were just outside the room. And so it is a just, I share that story just to say that it is a reality. However, that's not what we're going to be touching on today. I think uh, spiritual warfare, there's there's much more deeper uh, conversations to have around that and, and, and more practical conversations that need to happen. And I think that if we uh, don't have this conversation, uh, we can miss out on a lot of things in our lives. And, um, and so um, I, I don't know. I, I don't. Um, I don't know what direction to take this in. But let's start off by asking uh, this question: uh, What do you think spiritual warfare looks like for the believer on a day-to-day level? Man, I'm so I'm so glad you said this. You know, um, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Rick Renner, yeah. and uh, Rick Renner wrote a book called Dressed to Kill. Yeah. And listen, it is one of the greatest books you will ever read about the armor of God. And in chapter one of that book, he deals with what he calls spiritual warfare mania, the superstitious, non-biblical things that Christians believe about spiritual warfare. And, and when it comes to spiritual warfare or any area of life, we've got to funnel everything that we believe and everything that we think, we've got to funnel it through the truth of God's word. If it doesn't lie up with God's word, we cannot stand on it. No matter how popular it is, no matter how popular it is uh, uh, to Christian culture, no matter how emotional it is, if it is not backed up by the truth of God's word, we have to discard it. And then there are also some people when it comes to spiritual warfare, they base their beliefs on their personal experiences or the experiences of other people. But if those experiences are not confirmed by the word of God, we have to throw it out. God's word has to be the standard. But in, order, in, in getting to your question, when you ask, what does spiritual warfare look like on a daily basis to the everyday believer? Here's what I believe it is. The Bible says that, that when you accept Christ as your Lord and personal Savior and give your life to Christ, you are born again spiritually. The moment you are born again spiritually, the Bible says we have we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. Just like God is a three-part a triune being, we are a triune being. We have the spirit, the soul, the body. The spirit is the part of you that when you are born, you are born dead spiritually. When you accept Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, spiritually you are born again. The whole Holy Spirit enters into your new spirit, and according to your and according to Scripture, your born again spirit is the only part of you that Satan cannot touch. First uh, John says, "He that is born of God cannot sin." So, so our spirit man that is born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, cannot sin. But then we have the soul. The soul is our identity, our mind, our emotions, and our will. The thoughts we think, what we feel, and then the decisions that we make. And there are many people who have accepted Christ and are born again spiritually, but they still think the wrong things, feel the wrong things, and make the wrong decisions. So as I am growing in my walk with God, being discipled, giving myself more to God, uh, studying his word, applying his word to my life, it's going to change the way I think, it's going to change what I feel, and ultimately it should change the decisions that I make. So the Holy Spirit, as I submit to him and obey God, the Holy Spirit through my born-again spirit helps convert my soul. And because we live in a three-dimensional world, we are housed in a three-dimensional body, and that is the body that you see when you look in the mirror. I really believe this, I really believe this. 
spiritual warfare yeah. for us yeah. is more about yeah. wrestling with ourselves mm. than it is wrestling with some demonic force. Mm. Now, the Bible makes it very clear yeah. that this world right now yeah. is under the power of Satan. Yeah. That's in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 where it says that he is the God of this world. That word God spelled with a little g, which means he is a temporary reigning ruler. Earth is his playground. And for those who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they are out from under his power, though we are not under the power of Satan, yet we're still living in a world that's run by him. So Satan through the world presents, presents many temptations to our flesh that we can either say yes to or no to. But spiritual warfare for us on a daily basis is literally keeping our flesh in check so we don't fall for the things that Satan puts before us. The works of Satan cannot work against us unless our flesh cooperates. Satan is afraid of the believer that lives a crucified life. We're saved once, crucified daily. Paul said, Paul said, I die daily. When Paul said, I die daily, that what he's saying is every day I have to put my humanistic ways, my humanistic ways of thinking, my ungodly desires, I have to crucify those things daily. Because, but, but, and then I, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. I've, you know, the question has been asked, what kills the mouse, yeah. the trap or the cheese? Mm. That's a good question. It's not the cheese that kills the mouse. Mm. And even though the trap is what breaks his neck, it's not the trap that kills the mouse. It's the mouse's desire for the cheese. If the mouse never had a taste for the cheese, he'd never run for the cheese on the trap. And if he never ran for the cheese on the trap, he would never spring the trap that ends up killing him. So it's his taste, his desire for the cheese that causes him to run after the cheese. Satan gets us by putting things in front of us that we secretly desire within. That's why James 1 says, let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. But every person is tempted when they are drawn away of their own lust and enticed. So, so. So Satan and the world can put things in front of me, but I'm only going to respond to those things that I secretly have a desire for. Satan is not going to bring you seafood when he knows your desires for fried chicken. You're going to see what I'm saying? So, so the more I submit to God and the more I allow the Holy Spirit to change my heart, he changes my desires. Satan may still have the same keys, but God changes the locks of the heart. He's preaching over here. This mic is on fire. <laughs> um, you, you got into the, the, the secret desires that we have and that really being the trap. Um, last night you were giving a sermon and you were talking about your friend, the analogy you gave of 
her not using her garage. I'm going to let you go into it uh, for yourself and you can unpack that. But that that stuck out to me a lot. And, and something my pastor used to always say is a lot of us, we want to get rid of the rat, but nobody wants to get rid of the trash. <laughs> and so if we want to get rid of the things that is despicable, that's that we hate, that we uh, are do not desire, we have to check the trash that resides within our own hearts. So let me ask you this. Uh, I love the way you broke down spiritual warfare. How do we get to a place where we can desire the things of God so that Satan doesn't trap us into things or into situations that will ultimately hurt us and destroy even our future? Let let, let me say this, and and I want to make this very plain. Satan and demonic forces are drawn to sin just the way flies are drawn to manure and trash. Wherever there is trash, you're always going to find rodents. And wherever there is trash, rodents have a legal right to be there. Now watch this. If I allow sin to stay in certain areas of my life, those areas of sin are darkness. Wherever darkness is, that is where Satan is going to be. That is where his influence is going to be. That is where his power is going to be. So until I get rid of the sin, I cannot get rid of him. Because watch this. Wherever sin is or wherever unrighteousness flourishes, Satan's power has a legal right to be there. A lot of people don't realize that. So that means that I can be a born-again believer still allowing the pollution of sin to be in my life in certain areas and wonder why there is chaos in my life in those areas. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. So if God is not the author of confusion, that means that Satan is. But wherever I keep sin, confusion is going to be there. Confusion, confusion. Listen, the the word of God says Satan comes to steal to kill and to destroy but he can only do that if I open the door for him to do that let let me show you something in Job chapter 1 if you you read Job chapter 1 carefully Satan never mentioned Job to God God had to mention Job to Satan Job was so well hidden by God that he was not even on Satan's radar. Then, then when God does mention Job to Satan, Satan immediately says, I cannot touch him because you have put a hedge around him a hedge around his family and everything that he puts his hands to do it prospers watch this Satan could not touch Job because of the protective hedge that God has around him 
in Ecclesiastes, there is a scripture. I believe it's it's ten and eight. I, I got to go back to make sure. But in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes, there is a scripture that says, "If a man breaks a hedge, a serpent will bite him." Now watch this. Satan couldn't touch Job because of the hedge. Ecclesiastes says, "If a man breaks a hedge, a serpent will bite him." Satan is also referred to as a serpent in the book of Revelation. When I am walking in obedience to God, when I am keeping my flesh in check, there is a hedge of blessing and a hedge of protection around my life. But when I sin and purposely do things that are against the will of God without repenting and turning from those things, I open holes in my hedge. And it is through those holes of sin that the enemy comes and bites my life, though I am a child of God. So, so, so the, so, so the issue is, am I walking? Listen, the greatest deterrent to the the greatest, your greatest advantage in spiritual warfare is to walk in obedience to the Lord. The book of James says, submit yourself Therefore, unto God, resist the enemy and he will flee from you. The thing about it is, is this. It did not say resist the devil and he will flee. That's what most people quote, but that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, submit yourself, therefore, unto God. You have a lot of believers that are suffering from demonic oppression because they really aren't living submitted lives. So so watch this. If, if 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 I'm a married man, but I have a mistress on the side and juggling a marriage and a mistress on the side is bringing me depression and, and all this grief and, and this turmoil and this stress. God's not doing that. I'm doing that. And then when 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 finally it blows up in my face and I lose my marriage, I lose my kids, I lose my respect and it affects me on the job. What happened was destruction came. Why? Because I wasn't living a submitted life. Satan runs from those who have submitted to God. And watch this. If I if I am submitted to God, I'm not going to yield to the things that are not of God. I'm going to resist them. So 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 it, it's all about what have I submitted to and what have I resisted? And 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 and, and, and then I'm, I'm then I'm I'm just top it off with this. If you say you love God, you can't say that you love God, but you are secretly drawn to the things that he hates. Uh, what, what, what was the Grecian story about the Trojan horse? Um, there, there's, this, uh, there's this Grecian, there's this story um, somewhere in the Grecian world where um, there was this city that had a wall that was impenetrable. And the enemy... The enemies of this city wanted to take the wanted to. They knew they couldn't take the wall, but they wanted to get inside the city. Yeah. So what they did was, they made this Trojan horse, and it was huge, yeah. and they acted like it was an, a gift from the gods to that city. Yeah. But there were warriors from the enemy's team, yeah. the enemy's camp, who hid in that Trojan horse. So when the people of the wall city took the Trojan horse inside while they slept the enemies inside the Trojan horse came out and they were able to destroy the city from the inside out 
When you allow sin into your life, you're allowing a Trojan horse. It may it may be okay at first, but what you don't realize is that Satan and and the and the forces of darkness have hidden themselves in that Trojan horse. Sin will thrill, then it will kill. It will fascinate, then assassinate. It's a treasure that brings displeasure. You play with sin like it's a toy, and it you it will destroy. So 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 my greatest my greatest role in spiritual warfare is making sure. I keep my flesh in check. And I, and I think I went a long way around to answer your question. But, but watch this. You asked the question, how can we start desiring the things that God wants us to desire? Let me tell you something. The Word of God says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. It didn't say delight yourself in what God gives you. It didn't say delight yourself in God's blessings. Yeah. Delight yourself in Him. Yeah. The more time you spend with God, yeah. the more time you give to the study of God's Word, yeah. not studying His Word for knowledge's sake, yeah. but studying His Word so you can know Him more yeah. and what He requires of you. The more time you spend with God, God changes the desires of your heart. And when God starts to change the desires of your heart, things you used to desire, you don't desire anymore. And watch this. The way you know that you're getting closer to God is you start loving what God loves and hate what God hates. So sin that used to be pleasing to you now disturbs you because God's changing your heart due to the time you've been spending with him. A lot of people say, I just need more of God. No, you don't need more of God. God needs more of you. Mm, That's so good, man. That's so good. I, uh, you know, I, I know that, you know, God cannot rid us of the sin that we love. He only rids us of the sin that we hate. And I think that a lot of times that if we were to be honest with ourselves, we love Jesus and we love our lust. We love Jesus and we love our pride. We love Jesus and we love our comparison, right? We love Jesus and we love a lot of the things that he died on the cross for. So I guess, you know, and I love what you said about desire, this idea that God doesn't, you don't need more of God. God needs more of you. Um, And this idea that when we do spend more time with him, he does change our desires. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I love what Paul says. You know, it, it is those with unveiled faces that contemplate on the glory of God that are being transformed into his likeness. And I think that it, it's so crazy to me because growing up, I thought in order to be more like Christ, in order to love what God loves, in order to, to, to be pleased by what he's pleased by, to be displeased by what he dis, is displeased with, that I would have to just read my Bible more, that I would have to pray more, that I would have to fast more, that I would have to go to more church services, that I would have to go to more conferences. But Paul is telling us in 2 Corinthians that it's as you gaze upon the glory of the cross 
that you become more like Jesus. And I think a lot of the times in order for us to grow in our desire, in order for us to grow in the things that God has called us to grow in, we need to sit and gaze upon the Lord. Now, I wanted to ask, and I know we're talking about spiritual warfare, but a part of it, this this is a part of it. Like, why do you think in our generation, um, we don't want to sit and gaze upon the Lord? Why is it that we're so content with the quick glance? We're so content with just getting a little bit of Jesus and then going about our day. I mean, you know, I, I know people that will read their Bible once or twice a week and think that's good, right? Or I, I, I even for myself, like I, I know, like if I were to tell on myself, like if I read my Bible two, three days straight and the next day I'm not feeling it, I'm like, all right. I mean, I read the last two, three days. I think I could take a day off, right? Or I, I still got to, you know, and sometimes I, you know, you know, our pastor used to say, we're smarter sinners the more we know. So I'll just be like, well, I haven't fully meditated on what I've already read, so I need a break from reading, right? So I'll play these games with myself to distance myself from the Lord. Uh, but why, why do you think it is that our generation has ceased to be in awe of God and to see him as who he is, to just sit and to stare at the glory of who God is so that he could have our desire and have more of us? Brother, I'm I'm gonna say this, and and I'm a, I'm I'm including myself in this. We live in the land of distractions. There are so many things that distract us from the Lord. But one thing that I, I want the listeners to remember is this: our walk with God is not a religion; it is a relationship. There, there was a husband and a wife yeah. who had four children, yeah. and those four children kept them busy. They had a, a family business that kept them busy, yeah. and on their 25th wedding anniversary, they went out to eat, yeah. and they didn't have the children with them. Mm. And whenever they went out to eat, they went to the same restaurant, yeah. and they never had any chi- the children with them. Yeah. And I remember um, the wait. The waiter came up to them, and he said, "You know," he said, when he found out they were celebrating their twenty fifth wedding anniversary, he said, "You know what? I know you all have children, yeah. and whenever you all come here, you never bring your children." Yeah. And he said. I'm just curious. I see other couples coming here with their children. And he said, by the way, congratulations. But I'm just curious, why don't you ever bring your kids? I know there are some lovely kids. And here is what the husband said. He said, sir, today we've celebrated 25 years in marriage. And trust me, marriage is a blessing, but marriage is work. We have the four kids. We have the business. My wife has her stuff. I have my stuff. He said, but once a week, my wife and I intentionally get a babysitter, leave business, and we intentionally go out and have a date. And he said, when we have a date, we make sure it is a date that doesn't distract us. Distract us, He said, now, every now and then we may go to a movie, but normally we don't go to a movie. We go to where we, we, we make sure we intentionally engage each other and talk to each other. Then he said, once a month, we, my wife and I have a weekend retreat 
where we get we, we leave the kids with family yeah. and we go we after we get off work that Friday yeah. we go to a hotel or we travel somewhere and it is just she and I he said the thing that has kept our marriage strong the thing that has kept us in love with each other is our intentional our intentional work yeah to put us first in spite of everything else we got going on. The reason why I believe we get so distracted, so easily distracted from spending quality time with God is because we don't intentionally spend that time. In order to grow close to the Lord, you got to invest the time. So that means pulling away from social media, pulling away from family and friends, spending time, spending quality time with God intentionally in a way where, you know, you're giving your best time to God. I got I got a homegirl. Her 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 favorite her favorite place to go is is to be outdoors and in nature. And she says, Byron, when I'm out hiking, my she said, I get closer to God than I do when I go to church. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't go to church. She said, but when I'm out hiking, I'm in my element. And in my element, I can be closer to him because I'm in my element. She said, but I intentionally go out there to walk and pray. The Bible says Jesus would get up intentionally every day before daylight to spend time with God. So, so if I love him, I've got to intentionally invest in him just like I have to intentionally invest in my human relationships. Watch this. You will never have a close and intimate relationship with God where you are being transformed by accident. It has to be by intention. That's so good. That's so good. It's so interesting that we we hear that our whole lives, and, and we and you have talked about this off here. Life is simply applying the basics. You know, it's so funny how we always want a deeper message. We want a deeper podcast episode. We want a deeper sermon. But God's like, what are you doing with what I've already made plain to you? Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. What are you doing with what you've known to be true? And I think a lot of the times, I, th- I think it was Carl Lentz who said this, Pastor Carl Lentz, you know, there's a lot of people um, in the church that are getting fat off information and we're not digesting what we know to be true. And so instead of applying, instead of digesting, instead of sitting with what we know to be true, we we just, it's just the day and age we live in on to the next, on to the next. And uh, I, I mean, like, I don't know how it is in the Bible Belt, but like here, here in Minnesota, if you don't have deep content week in and week out, if you don't have a deep Bible study week in and week out, you lose people. Like I want a deeper uh, pastor. I want somebody that, and it's just like, okay, I get that. And there's, there's a, a place for that. But what are we doing with what we know to be true? And I think a lot of the times we want something deeper to distract us Mm. from what we know to be true. Mm. Because if we were to wrestle with the simple idea of getting alone with God, there would be a lot of things we would run away from. There'd be a lot of things we would escape. And so I I guess, you know, as we're continuing uh, this conversation about spiritual warfare, how does somebody, because here's my thing. I think if somebody doesn't know that they're in war, they've lost already. Mm-hmm. Already they've lost. Mm-hmm. And so if, you, if you're if you not taking Christian, if, if Christianity is not a fight, 
I feel like you have misunderstood Christianity, right? Something, uh, a phrase I say often, but something that uh, I mean deeply is, you know, if you don't understand uh, your need for God, you have missed the standard of God. And so if we have seen the standard rightly and correctly, every day we're fighting to obey God, whether it's us in traffic, right? Whether it's, and here's the thing, sin might, nobody might not see it, but in our heart, right? The way we feel when somebody cuts us off, what are, how do we respond? Respond that it's a fight to remain holy in that moment, even if nobody is around us, right? Uh, how do we respond when we get news we're not pleased with? How do we respond when we don't get the promotion? How do we respond when we get rejected? How do we respond when XYZ happens to us? And I think life is a constant fight. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Gideon. And, uh, you know, the, you, we all know the idea of Gideon defeating, I think it was 120,000 uh, Philistines. Was it the Philistines? Um, with the 300, right? With the 300, right? But what's interesting to me is how they go from 10,000 to 300. So they go to the water, right? And and God does this little test with them. He, he says, okay, how is it that they're going to, how, how are they going to respond to their break time. <laughs> and it's interesting because 9,700 of them completely forgot they were in the middle of a war and they just dove straight into the water and drank as much. But there was 300 who had who positioned themselves so that they would be drinking the water with uh, with their hands, but they're also they were also alert. They would also because they were at any time we could be under an attack. At any time we could be ambushed. At any time something can go south. And because they were aware that at any time they could be attacked, even the way they took their break was with in an in, in alert. The way they took their break was being conscious that they were in war. And so I think a lot of the times like we miss out on this idea that we're in battle. And and so like even even I think like when we're alone, that's when the enemy attacks us the most. Like, oh I, I had a long day, I worked hard, I'm just gonna relax and just watch Netflix. Well Maybe it's in that position, in that time that the devil strikes, right? And uh, I mean, one, I think uh, the the story with David, how he fell with Bathsheba. Yes. Yes. It's interesting. We always talk about him falling into sin, but nobody ever talks about the position that he was in when he fell into sin. The The way the chapter begins is at a time where kings went to war. That's right. Why wasn't David on the battlefield? <laughs> because David wasn't where he needed to be. He fell into sin. I think it was John Piper that says it is in our leisure that we find ourselves falling in sin, right? It is when we are not doing what we need to be doing doing that we fall our, find ourselves in sin. And so I guess my my next question to you would be, um, how do we position ourselves to be at war? How do we position ourselves to understand that at any moment our flesh can break out and sin can be uh, a, a real thing for us? I heard a quote once that said, those who are in the greatest danger are the ones who think they're perfectly safe. Mm, now, now, now listen, I, I, I want to say this, and I don't know who I'm speaking to out there that, that's hearing this. Scripture makes it very plain in the book of Peter that we are to be sober, yeah. we are to be alert and vigilant yeah. because our adversary, the devil, yeah. 
is walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he is able to devour. Satan can't devour everyone. He's looking for who he is able to devour. The enemy, the, the, uh, the word of God, as I said earlier, says uh, John 10 and 10, that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When a lion, when a, when a pack, of, when a group of lions attack a herd, they want to get the herd moving. But what they're looking for, they're looking for the weak, the young, the old, and the wounded. And they are looking for the one that gets separated from the herd. Because, because even, if, even if it's one of the strongest of the herd, separated from the herd, it's not a match for a pack of lions. Hear me when I say this. Just as God has angels assigned to us to protect us, to bless us, and to help us both in angelic form and according to Hebrews 13 1 in human disguise just as has God has angels that are positioned to assist us Satan has demonic forces assigned to destroy us what allows them to destroy us are the decisions that we make listen listen do not think it's strange. Yeah. If you're faithfully serving the Lord, yeah. your husband or wife is faithfully serving the Lord, yeah. you're bringing your kids up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, yeah. and all of a sudden your kid hits a season of great rebellion that comes out of nowhere that you didn't see coming. Yeah. Demonic oppression and demonic influence doesn't look like what we always think it looks like. Yeah. You're looking for some you're looking for something out of a Freddy Krueger movie or you're looking for something like on The Exorcist. It doesn't always happen like that. Yeah. I've got a I've got a faithful deacon and his wife at my church back home that are that are having horrible problems out of their youngest daughter and it's like come out of nowhere. Yeah. And, 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 and hear me when I say this, you can dismiss the spiritual realm as, as much as you want to, but to dismiss the spiritual realm is to dismiss what scripture actively says. Jesus, even dealing with a certain demonic case in scripture says this kind or this degree cannot come out except but by fasting and prayer. So, so, so what I'm saying is what I'm saying is. We are in a spiritual battle. And, yeah. and notice what it's called. It's called spiritual yeah. warfare. Yeah, 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 yeah. If I'm wrestling with hatred towards someone, yeah. wrestling with thoughts of violence towards someone, that's spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. It's a spiritual warfare. Yeah. Why is that spiritual warfare? Yeah. Because the warfare is me conquering those dark feelings, those dark thoughts, and keeping my heart and my mind right before God. That's spiritual warfare. Yeah. When, I'm a, when I'm a young man and I'm working on a job and I've got these, these beautifully built women who, who are seductive and they wear seductive clothing and I see all of this around me yeah. and, and I'm trying to walk in purity so I have to 
watch what I look at and, and watch how I engage them or how I, or how they engage me. And, and the battle is inside. Yeah. That is a spiritual battle. That's what we call spiritual warfare. Yeah. When, 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 when you're married and, and you're being hit with all these things from, from to and fro and you're thinking about throwing in the towel on your marriage, but you remember those vows, that's, that's an inner conflict. If it's inner and if it involves your relationship with God, even though it affects the world around you, that's spiritual warfare. That's why Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. He didn't say it's a cakewalk of faith. He said, fight the good fight of faith. What is the fight of faith? The fight of faith is staying faithful to the faith that I'm committed to, which is obedience to Jesus Christ. So, so, so if you think, if you think that you're just going to go through life haphazard and be passive in your walk with God, I'm going to say something to you. Satan always severely punks the severely passive. The believers that have served God, have walked with God, and don't think that sin can affect them, those are the ones that fall the hardest. Paul said this, let he that thinks he stands strong take heed lest he fall. When you you go to bed at night, you lock your doors at home. I hope you do. Why do you lock your doors at home? You lock your doors at home not because of what's on the inside. Mm. You lock your doors because of who's on the outside. No one is, bless God, no one is is broken into our house back in Dallas. When we were a kid, it happened once. But in all those years, no one is broken into our house. But every night we lock the door. Every night we, we set the security alarm. Why? Because there are enemies that are out there. We bless God that it hasn't happened, but we still prepare for it. And what did you say today? We despise the things that we have not prepared for. Satan looks for those who are unprepared. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. Positioning is very key. Sin will take you where you never thought you would go, cause you to stay longer than you ever wanted to stay, and deceive you into doing what you never thought you would do. Remember this. If you can't say it in front of Christ, Mm. you shouldn't be saying it. If you're about to go, if, if you can't do it in front of Christ, you shouldn't be doing it. If you're about to go to a place where you would not want Christ to find you, you shouldn't be there. And if Jesus were your date, would you wear what you are about to put on? It's having a God-conscious mentality. And, 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 and I'm going to end it with this. You talked about positioning. Had David been in battle where he should have been, even though it was uncomfortable, he never would have seen Bathsheba. He never would have lusted after her. He never would have slept with her. He never would have gotten her pregnant. He never would have tried to cover his tracks by having her husband killed had he been where he was supposed to be. In the movie The Lion King, when, um, when Scar made Simba curious about the elephant graveyard where Mufasa told him not to go, Nala... Uh, Simba 
caught Nala into going with him, and Zazu was watching over them, but they knew Zazu had the heart of Mufasa, so in order to get to the elephant graveyard, they had to ditch Zazu. Mufasa represents God the Father. Simba Simba and Nala represent believers, but Simba was the male who led her into deception, and in order to get to the elephant graveyard, they had to ditch Zazu, which represented the influence of the Holy Spirit. When they got in the elephant graveyard and when the hyenas came to attack and Zazu was with them, Simba told the hyenas, you cannot touch me. And Zazu said, technically they can because you are on their territory. When you step and when you play and when you operate on Satan's territory, you will fall victim to his tactics even though you are a believer. Mufasa told Simba, wherever the light touches, that belongs to us. Simba said, but daddy, what about the shadowy places? He said, no, we don't go there because that's beyond our borders. The reason why Satan jacks many of us up is because we keep wandering past the borders of the kingdom into the shadowy places. That's so good, bro. That's so good. Man, I'm... I'm (laughs) I'm trying to ask more questions, but I'm trying to process everything you're saying as well. For those of you listening, yeah, he just threw in a Lion King reference. <laughs> um, let me let me ask you this. We got a couple more questions and we'll be done. Um, <laughs> I love what you said about sin. I think sin will always cost more than you're willing to pay. And I think a lot of the times, you know, this is what the devil does. Before we sin, the devil always maximizes the grace of God. And after we sin, he always minimizes the grace of God. And so how can we, I mean, we talked about positioning. I love that, by the way, you define spiritual warfare so well, because I think a lot of the times we don't know how to make that practical, but anything that affects our life on earth, whoever it affects our life is Anything that deals with what God has called us to, what God, the standard that he's placed in us is spiritual warfare. But let me, let me ask you this. Why, how, how can we, how do I word this? How can, we, how can we see the depravity of the things that we desire? Like, how could we see? Because here, here's the thing. I think a lot, of the, a lot of the times, if I really were to believe that what I'm after is rubbish, that what I'm after is garbage, that the sin that I'm, I can't wait to commit, the sin I think about committing is actually going to be the end of me, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't stand near it. I wouldn't come touch it. I wouldn't want nothing to do with it, right? Like if you were to take me to a dump, right, and you were to say, this is where we're having dinner, I would say, I'm good. Like I'd rather go hungry than to eat the dump, right, or the trash, right? But why is it as, as Christians, we, we're, we so quickly eat up trash, and we desire trash, and we want to spend time with trash, and we want to make friends that are trash? <laughs> like, why, why do you think that as believers, um, sin has, uh, we haven't seen the depravity of sin, and how can we get to a place where we see it for what it really is and to stand against it? Bro, listen. Man, that, that, this, this is deep. This is deep. One of the reasons why I believe sin is so attractive to us is because we really don't spend time in God's word to the degree where we allow God's word 
to change us. Let, 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 let me say this. When, man, my mind is going so many places. I'm trying to, to catch it so it sort of slow down. Yeah. Listen, when God's word is the standard of your life, mm. that means it comes first. Mm. God doesn't speak with commas. Mm. God doesn't speak with question marks. Mm. God doesn't even speak with exclamation points. God speaks and says what he says, period. Yeah. When God's word is the centerpiece of my life, it trumps everything. Yeah. It trumps what family says. Yeah. It trumps what society says. It trumps what I say. God's word is law. The thing about it is, is this. We fall in love with the illusion of sin. Yeah. And we fall so in love with the illusion of sin until we deceive ourselves into denying the reality of what it is. If, 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 a, if a man is having an affair on his wife, it's fun. It's exhilarating. He, he's running the gambit. It's fun to him. It's fun to her. It's exciting, but it's blinding him to the reality of what's to come. And what we have to remind ourselves is this, the pleasures of sin last only for a season. But, 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 Eb, I believe this is the, I believe this is the crucial factor. I believe it really boils down to how much do we truly love God or do we truly love him at all? Because watch this. When you really love God, it should bother you when you don't please God. When a person loves God, don't look at them when they succeed. Look at them when they sin. When a person really loves God and they sin, it bothers them. The Bible says in the last days, men's consciences shall be seared with a hot iron. Back in the olden days when they had irons that were made out of real iron, the handle was made out of iron, the stem was made out of iron, and the flat part that ironed the clothes was made out of iron. You put the iron over the fire. You let the fire heat the iron. You grab the metal. You grab the iron handle. You iron the clothes. You put it back over the fire. Some of those old mothers and those grandmothers had grabbed that iron stem for so long that it made the inside of their hands callous. So when a person who wasn't used to it grabbed the iron, it would burn them. When those calloused hands grabbed it, they wouldn't feel it because it was calloused. The more time I spend away from God, the more time I deal with the things that are not of God, sin desensitizes you spiritually. 
So you can tell the nasty jokes. You can listen to the horrid music. You can hang out with people that are so anti-God that it does not bother you because you become desensitized. So the more time I spend with God and the more time I spend around true people of God and the more time I spend in the house of God, it keeps me spiritually sensitive. So sin bothers me because it bothers God. But the farther I get away from God, I start to develop a calloused heart. So the Bible says in the last days, people will get so far from God and people will get so deep into depravity that no matter what they do, no matter what they say, it will not bother them. And and, and, and brother, listen, going back to the Lion King, Simba never got in trouble because he dealt with hyenas. Simba never dealt with hyenas. Mm. Simba got in trouble when he listened to his uncle Scar. Mm. Scar was a lion just like him. Scar was even in the royal family just like him. But though Scar was a lion, Scar was a lion, but his heart was in league with the hyenas. Mm. So whatever he influenced Simba to do was tainted because though he was a lion, his heart was not lying. His heart was hyena. And though he had a scar on his face, the real scar was in his heart. You gotta, you, even as believers, you gotta be careful when you're dealing with scarred lions. Beware of people that make you curious about what God has already condemned. So, 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 so I believe, I believe the more we handle what is not of God, yeah. it makes us mm-hmm. more not like God. Mm-hmm. Last thing I'm going to say. Yeah. Now, 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 I hope you don't get any letters for this. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I, I, I was looking at one, one of the Harry Potter's movies, and, and the, the, the bad guy in Harry Potter, his name was Voldemort. Yeah. And, and Voldemort had, had divided himself up into these objects called Horcruxes. Yeah. And and when you and when you and when when you had a Horcrux, you actually had a piece of Voldemort, yeah. and and their whole goal was to destroy all of the Horcruxes. Yeah. Well, uh, there was this one Horcrux that they had, but the longer they held onto it, the more the Horcrux corrupted them. Sin is a Horcrux from the enemy, yeah. and the longer you hold on to it, yeah. instead of repenting of it and destroying it, yeah. it corrupts you. And it changes you. The sin you hold on to will never bring you closer to God. It will always take you away from God. That's so good. Man, oh man, oh man. So good. (laughs) Last question and we'll be done. Um, (laughs) This idea of me versus me. I think that as believers, we we need to think like this more. That I am my worst enemy. I think... I don't know if it was Spurgeon or C.S. Lewis who said this, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase what he said. I don't remember what he said word for word, but this idea that you shouldn't be weary if any man thinks bad of you, for you are worse than what he thinks of you. Um, and I, 
<laughs> yes. And that, that messed with me when I read that. I'm pretty sure it was uh, Spurgeon. But this idea that, you know, th- whoever it is, they could say the most horrific things about you. But if you were to be honest with yourself, they don't even see the reality or the depravity of who you are. I think if we spent more time aware of who we were, we'd have less time thinking about what this person did what this person said, how this person made me feel, the enemy this, the enemy that, we would quickly realize that we are our worst enemy. My question, my last question to you is, how do we grow in awareness of our depravity and what do we do with it once we see it? And, and I know this is going to cut against a lot of people who, who think that we as humans are such good people. Um, and that the answer lies within yourself. Let, let, let me tell you something. We all wrestle with sin. Yeah. Even we as believers who are born again on the inside still have this flesh yeah. that we have to wrestle with. But watch this. If you don't think that you are depraved, yeah. be honest. Think of some of the thoughts that we have thought. Yeah. Some of the things that we have contemplated even though we've never done them. Some of the desires that we have had, the things we've wanted to try. Think about the things that some of us have done that no one knows about but we and God. And think about the inner struggles that you still wrestle with that no one knows about that we hide so well. One of the greatest truths of life is that I need the Lord more than words can ever say. And, and I know we live in this world where it says it's all about you. You're this great, good person. And, and, and what we're saying is not self-condemnation. It's just self-realization. Because of who I am, I need who he is. And, 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 and the beautiful thing about your walk with God is, and we're going to deal with this tonight, the beautiful thing about our walk with God is transformation. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what does that say? God accepts you just as you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay like you are. Now watch this. People who go to the gym and who go to the gym faithfully, they go to the gym because they want to change. They go to the gym because they want to change, they want to grow, they want to get better. But if a person is completely satisfied with who they are, they don't do that kind of stuff. My thing is this. The more I look into the mirror of God's word, there's one thing that God's word always shows us. The biggest room in any Christian's life is the room for improvement. When you look in a mirror, a a regular, real, physical mirror, a mirror shows you just the way you are. If you got eye crust, the mirror's gonna show that. If you got pillar marks on your face, the mirror's going to show that. If there's something in your nose that every time you breathe, it wiggles, the mirror is going to show that. 
A mirror doesn't show you your real reflection to make you feel bad or condemn you. The mirror shows you your real reflection so you know what necessary changes to make. God's word is a spiritual mirror that shows us who we are from God's point of view, but it also shows us by God's power what we can do to transform so that we can be the people that God has called us to be. But the moment I stop looking in the mirror of truth, that's when I can start believing lies about myself. That's why you got people who are so corrupt but think they're so okay because they are judging themselves by their own standard and not the standard of God's truth. That's so good. I mean, even in that, we can go another hour just talking about that, but we won't do that. We got a service tonight, New Year's conference. Uh, listen, I hope you enjoyed uh, this week's episode. Uh, if you have any questions, any comments, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Uh, we'll, again, I say this every episode, but we're not supposed to answer all your questions. We're just supposed to get the conversation going. And I hope this conversation between Byron and I has got the ball rolling. I hope you guys are thinking through some things i hope you guys have a community that you can wrestle with this uh with and uh i hope ultimately uh you find yourself fighting the good fight of faith uh, our prayer is this that uh you know as you think about spiritual warfare you think about your sin you think about where you fall short and how god can help you overcome and i hope some of the things we shared today is, is, is tools that you can use to help you uh become victorious over your sin and so yeah that's that's our episode for today uh, until next time peace and love family